Hi everyone. A quick comment before the episode starts. To keep making these episodes, we need your support. If you're listening on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel and share with your friends. Every subscription helps. If you're listening on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or any other podcast platform, please give us a rating and leave a review. Your feedback is really important because it keeps us going. Thank you and enjoy today's episode. Nigeria has been under a lot of stress over the past couple of years. Even before the COVID-19 lockdown, the economy has not been growing at a pace to keep up with the needs of our population. The security situation, which started to improve between 2015 and 2018, has been moving in the wrong direction since 2019. And all of this has been made so much worse by the COVID-19 lockdown. Now, there are 36 states in Nigeria, and every single state is feeling the pain. And it seems like every couple of months, another state takes its turn on the hot seat. The latest, Oyo State. Violence erupted last week, the 11th of February, 2021, at Shasha Market, located in Akinyele local government. Antonietta, what is going on in Oyo State, and specifically this location, the Shasha Market? So we tried to piece together what actually happened using reports from multiple news outlets. It seems like on Thursday, that's the 11th of February, there was some kind of fight that happened between at least two people in Shasha Market. Now, Shasha Market is the biggest vegetable market in Oyo State. One of the busiest markets in the state is Bojija Market, but Shasha is the one known for vegetables. So on that day, all the sources agree that there was a pregnant woman, a man who is described as a cart pusher or load carrier, and another man who is a cobbler. He basically repairs shoes. Cart pushers are common in Nigeria's open-air markets. They help customers carry the goods they purchase through the market. So these three people, a pregnant woman, a cart pusher, and a cobbler, somehow find themselves in an interaction. Business Day, Daily Trust, and Sun News Online reports that there was a misunderstanding or arguments between the pregnant woman and the cart pusher. The cobbler entered to try to intervene, and then he, the cobbler, somehow ends up on the ground. And according to Daily Post, he later dies. Now, the Daily Trust, Daily Post, and The Nation reports that the cobbler was hit with a charm or an object suspected to be a charm. Business Day reports that the cart pusher attacked the cobbler with a dangerous weapon. Premium Times reports that the cart pusher stabbed the cobbler with a knife. Sun News Online reports that the cart pusher hit the cobbler and the cobbler fell down and hit his head against a stone. Anthony said the cobbler ends up dying, at least according to three sources. But what happened to the cart pusher? Yes, we were wondering about that as well. No news reports that we could find said what happened to the cart pusher, which is a bit strange. We know that in Nigeria, there is mob action, especially in the markets. Mobs have attacked and even killed people for something like stealing. One source told us that the cart pusher ran away, but if he truly stabbed the cobbler, I don't think he would have been allowed to just run away. The markets people would have stopped him somehow. So from what we can gather based on our assessment, this was probably a fight like any other fight that happens in the marketplace on any given day. 
But Antonietta, this wasn't just any other fight. It has led to a crisis in Oyo State to the point where the IG of police has deployed intervention and stabilization forces. Right. It was supposed to be just a fight, but then two things happened afterwards. First, the cobbler, Adiola Shekimuddin, died. This was confirmed by the police public relations officer of Oyo State. So the news of his death started to spread. And second, the incidents became tribalized. So it was no longer a pregnant woman fighting with a cart pusher who attacked a cobbler. It became a Yoruba pregnant woman was fighting with a Hausa cart pusher who attacked a Yoruba cobbler. Somewhere between the evening of Thursday to the next day, we don't know what happened. But by the next day, that's Friday, February 12th, things started to escalate between the Hausa and Yoruba communities. Shops in the markets were burnt, and there were unconfirmed reports of deaths. Daily Post reports that as of 15th of February, no fewer than 15 houses and 30 shops had been burnt by people suspected to be hoodlums. They also report that about five lives were lost as a result of the clash that erupted in the markets on Friday. Premium Times reported that as of 16th of February, at least six people had died from both sides in the reprisal attacks. According to Daily Trust, by the 16th of February, nearly 30 people had been killed. Daily Trust also reports that thousands of Hausa traders, women and children were displaced. Hmm. Thank you, Anthony Atta. John, we have what seems like the start of a potential crisis. How did we get here? Well, like Antonietta said, there was a fight in the market. And the fact that it escalated so quickly means there was probably already tension building in the community. So we'll look at the Council on Foreign Relations database. Remember, this is the database that tracks news reports of cases of insecurity in our country. So between 2012 and 2020, there were a total of 136 reported incidents of insecurity in Oyo State. In our whole country, there were a total of 9,608 reported incidents of insecurity. So Oyo State accounted for only 1.4% of the total incidents captured in the database. John, it sounds like Oyo is pretty safe. Yes, relative to other parts of the country, definitely. And this specific local government, Akinyele, also appears to have been a very safe place to live and work. Based on the information in the database, there were no reported incidents of violent insecurity in that local government until 2020. Even when the incidents were starting to rise across Oyo in 2019, the Akinyele local government wasn't really touched until 2020. So between May of 2020 to December of 2020, there were 12 reported incidents that led to 12 deaths. The first incident that was reported on June 1st, 2020, involved three persons that died after an attack by suspected headsmen. Of the other deaths, five involved machete deaths by unknown assailants. Other involved people characterized as hoodlums. So yes, the people were peaceful and everyone coexisted until 2020. That's also the time we had the lockdown, right? Yes, and remember, coming out of the lockdown, everything costs more. So there is also financial pressure in this community. And the other thing is that there have been some local politics in the market as well. Uh, there was some underlying issues in that market. 
of uh, issue particularly pertaining to leadership of that market uh, mm. has been an issue. Uh, some people were told uh, have been pushing uh, for the relocation of that market uh, because they don't like one leadership or the other, uh, things like that. So they had underlying issues, then this acted as a trigger. And then, that was the chief uh, press secretary to the governor of Oyo State speaking on the TVC morning show, Your View. On top of the rise in crime, the economic conditions because of COVID and the local market politics, came Sunday Igboho and Governor Rotimi Akeredolu. According to Daily Trust, on the 16th of January, Sunday Igboho, who is the Ibadan-based politician and youth leader, issued a seven-day ultimatum to the Flani communities in Igangan, Ibarapa local government or your state. He accused the community of being behind the rise of insecurity in the area. Two days later, on the 18th of January, the governor of Ondo State followed up with his own ultimatum on his official Twitter handle. He wrote, and I quote, Today we have taken major steps at addressing the root cause of kidnapping in particular, and other nefarious activities detailed and documented in security reports, the press, and debriefings from victims of kidnap cases in Ondo State. These unfortunate incidents are traceable to the activities of some bad elements masquerading as headsmen. These felons have turned our forest reserve into hiders for keeping victims of kidnapping, negotiating for ransom, and carrying out other criminal activities. As the chief law and security officer of the state, it is my constitutional obligation to do everything lawful to protect the lives and property of all the residents of the state. In the light of the foregoing, the following orders are hereby issued. 1. All forest reserves in the state are to be vacated by headsmen within the next seven days with effects from today, Monday, 18th January 2021. 2. Night grazing is banned with immediate effect because most farm destruction takes place at night. 3. Movement of cattle within cities and highways is prohibited. 4. Underage grazing of cattle is outlawed. Our resolution to guarantee safety of life and properties within the state shall remain utmost, as security have been directed to enforce the ban. In its usual magnanimity, our administration will give a grace period of seven days for those who wish to carry on with their cattle rearing business to register with appropriate authorities. John, we know that after this was issued by the Ondo State Governor, some media reports made it seem like he was asking all herdsmen to leave Ondo State. Yes, and at this point, the newspaper headlines, the TV discussions, social media discussions start to walk a fine line between civil disagreement and inciting violence. The elites also have been quiet. Why the government has been issuing strong warnings to all parties to be cautious. So if we put ourselves in the shoes of the natives of Akinyele, they have been hearing for weeks now from people like Sunday that the Flani, which are very closely connected to the Hausa, are coming to take their land. Then on top of that, they turn to the newspaper, radio, TV, WhatsApp, and YouTube and consume more information about Flani headsmen attacking. You take all of these and put it on top of the local pressure, this community fell apart.
Now, in the middle of all this is the governor of Oyo State, Sheima Kinde. He became governor in 2019 under the platform of the People's Democratic Party, PDP. And this is his first elected office, even though he has been trying for elective office since 2015. Makinde is an engineer turned businessman turned politician. He established his first oil and gas business at the age of 29, after years of working with international oil and gas companies. I think because of his engineering and business background, his approach tends to be solution-oriented. In the two years he's been governor of Oyo State, and this is according to these Danish papers, he has completed over 300 projects in the education sector. And according to the independent newspaper, he also flagged off the rehabilitation and reconstruction of eight road projects in various zones of the state. In September 2020, Mark inaugurated the second phase of a 28.3 billion Naira streets-like project. But as well-meaning and capable as Mark Inde might be, there are at least two circumstances that seem to be beyond his control. As you know, this country has been battling one form of insecurity or the other since our return to democracy in 1999. In the early 2000s, it was militancy in the Niger Delta. Then in the 2010s, it was and still is Boko Haram. And now we have a new crop of criminal elements that we are calling bandits. And even though your state has been affected by this general rise in crime that we are seeing across the country. Again, we refer to the Council on Foreign Relations Database. Between 2012 and 2020 inclusive, the country's news outlets have reported over 74,000 deaths related to insecurity. That's across the whole country. In that same time period of nine years, Oyo reported 172 deaths related to insecurity. That's a small number relative to other places, but here is the thing. 80 of those deaths, that's 46% occurred in 2020. That's about four times as much as what the state saw in 2019. We looked at these 80 incidents. The top suspected reports of insecurity in 2020 in Oyo were attributed to clashes with security officers. The second was robbery, and the third was kidnapping. So, Richard, it seems like we have a state that is seeing a rise in insecurity, specifically due to robberies and kidnappings. Then we have the likes of Sunday Ibohu that attribute the insecurity, specifically the kidnappings, to herdsmen. Then you put on top of all of that the perception that most herdsmen in Nigeria are Fulanis from the northern part of the country. Exactly. So by the time you add all of that up, you get why Makinde has to do something. But he did not do what the Ondo state governor did. He didn't issue a quick notice. Let me state that we shall not sit back and watch anyone make any law-abiding resident of your state feel unsafe in their homes, farms, or business places. We are aware of some people circulating flyers and giving people ultimatums to leave their land. This is totally unacceptable and will not be condoned. The Constitution of the Federal Republic That was Mackinde in a broadcast statement made on his YouTube channel on the 20th of January. And I'm assuming that this statement did not make him popular, at least not on social media. Exactly. So social media has not been kind to him, but the people that matter are the locals who are actually affected, but we are not sure how they feel. But anyways, on the 16th of February, Mackinde received four governors from the north, the governors of KB, Kanu, Ninja, and Zamfara. According to a post on Mark Inde's Twitter handle, they discuss the strategies his administration is putting in place to maintain 
peaceful coexistence of all residents of Oyo State. We don't quite know how this issue will be fully resolved. There are meetings happening between leaders in the South and in the North. Monarchs in the South are meeting, traditional rulers in the North are meeting, governors from each region are meeting. So lots of meeting happenings, and we just have to wait to see how this will all unfold. And there are certain things we can say for sure will happen. Open grazing of cattle will stop, and ranching will begin. But solving the, the herdsman problem may not solve the issue of short-term tensions between the tribes. Remember in the beginning I said there were two circumstances beyond Mark Kinde's control. The other circumstance beyond his control is that 2023 is an election year. And these two things, security and the upcoming elections, are actually related. Nigerian politics has been about divide and conquer. Tribe and religion are very easy triggers that are pulled to get people to throw their support behind political candidates. One easy way to do this is to create a problem and then make promises to solve that problem. First and foremost, we pray that the people of Shasha Market and Oyo State find the courage they need to get through this very difficult time. Second, there has been an update since we recorded this episode. According to Premium Times, the Nigeria Governors Forum confirmed that the conflict at Shasha Market was not a tribal or ethnic conflict. Now, all the post-mortem analysis of this particular conflict are going to come down to a fight that started in the marketplace and then escalated. Those are the facts. But you and I both know that facts and perceptions are two very different things. And perceptions build up over time. They are the result of our beliefs, our experiences, and the information that we consume. Once someone is able to shape your perception, they own you. And whether we like it or not, our perceptions are being shaped by other people every moment of every day. So how do we take control of our own perceptions? First thing is to know that we have power to control our perceptions. And I already mentioned three key ingredients to perception. One, our beliefs. Two, our experiences. And three, the information that we consume. The easiest way to change our perception is to change the information we consume. If we find ourselves holding a perception that makes us angry or fearful, the best way to let go is to learn about the thing that makes us angry or fearful. Are you angry and afraid of all Fulani herdsmen? Then stop consuming information that makes you more fearful and more angry at them. It's like that joke about the guy who goes to the doctor and says, Hey doc, it hurts every time I hit my knee. And the doctor says, well, stop hitting your knee. The easiest way to change our perceptions is to change the information we consume. And people who want to control our perceptions also know this. Now, the next way we can control our perceptions is to change our experiences. My colleague John Iwodi just came back from NYSC camp. For those of you who don't know about NYSC, it stands for National Youth Service Corps. It's a one-year service that all graduates in Nigeria need to complete, and it starts out with a three-week orientation camp. One of the key objectives of that experience is to expose young people from different parts of the country to each other, and to put them under difficult circumstances that they have to get through together. 
So in the beginning, some of them come with suspicion about each other, but by the end, the point is that they understand each other's basic humanity. Perceptions change in those three weeks. So if you want to change your perception, if you want to stop being fearful and angry, then change your experiences. And lastly, our beliefs shape our perceptions. Now, I'm not talking about religious beliefs here. No one is saying go and convert religions. But if you change the information you consume and the experiences that you have, your beliefs are going to change. As we prayed for Oyo and for sanity to prevail across our dear country, let's do our part and be mindful of our perceptions. We can change them anytime we want. The Backstory is brought to you by Triple E Media Productions. Production copyright 2021 by Triple E Media Productions. If you enjoyed this episode of The Backstory and want to hear more, give us feedback. Subscribe to our 234 Audio YouTube channel. Visit our website at 234audio.com and download our 234 Audio app. Episodes of this podcast can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Backstory was produced by Antonieta Kalunta, John Iwodi, Richard Anyabe, Sam Tabakaji, and Dominic Tabakaji. Executive producer, Ramat Muhammad. Special thanks to Alexandra Gekpe, Rabia Hadeja, Stanley Bentu, Aredi Isha, and Mala Iwa Badu Ikaleku. I'm Ramat Muhammad. See you next week.